0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 112 of the Faith to Black podcast. I'm a woman. I'm
1: Hannah Flint,
0: and I'm Clarice Lockery. This week we review Paul Schrader's latest, Man in a Room, Master Gardener, get our hands dirty with Finnish World War II bugbear sisu, and go under the sea, <laughs> under the sea, <laughs> for Disney's live action. The Little Mermaid, I personally think we're ready for The Big Mermaid, but that film has not been made yet, and therefore, we are not discussing it. Uh, but before our weekly wellness check, I have a question. Wellness for two, check? For my two <laughs> compadres. HBO Max is now Max. How are you feeling about this name change?
2: I mean, it's no. not
1: in the UK, so
0: this I mean, doesn't they dropped the duh. And it worked for them. HBO, they're dropping the HBO from the Max.
1: This is old, though. Like, I had this a few weeks ago, and I saw something funny. It was like, it's called Max and HBO products. So basically, you're still saying, referring to HBO, but just like in a less streamlined way. (laughs) I don't know. It makes no sense.
0: It really does not make zero sense. But now that we've dispensed with that, how have our weeks been? Hannah, you've been abroad, have you not?
1: I have. I've been out of the country. It was funny actually because when I arrived, when I arrived in Portugal, I nearly didn't get let in because funny story. What? We don't want you in our country. Leave. No, yeah, they were like basically <laughs> when I got my passport was in 2016 when I went to Australia. I got a brand new passport, but then I went like went to my friend was staying in Bali, so I went to Bali, came back. And I accidentally put my... I was in these trousers and I didn't take my passport out of my trousers so I put it in the wash. And I got it out. like, shit. So I tried to try it. Anyway, managed to get out of the country then. And I was like, oh, this is still in good nick. So for the last seven years, I've been using my passport, which has gone through a washing machine, but the chip <laughs> still works. And it's been... It's kind of like... Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like the seventh seal where like death has just been following me, just waiting to emerge at some point. And he turned up to play chess at <laughs> Port Faro Airport and they were like the guy looked at it and I was like, Oh no <laughs> He was like he was like flapping his around I was, like what have you done to it? And I was like, I did this seven years ago. So, I mean, shouldn't we, shouldn't you be quite impressed that it's lasted this long? They were not <laughs> impressed. Uh, but they were kind of nice because they pulled me aside and I just thought, I can't, like me, like maybe, me, like about a year ago, i have been like panic mode, like, oh my God, I paid for a trip. Now I can't even get in there. And I just thought, oh, let's see what happens. Uh, and yeah, they just said, look, here's a letter. <laughs> you need to, you need to get a travel, emergency travel document. And I was like, uh, oh, I'm only here for a week. Do I really, where do I have to go? And they wanted me to go somewhere in Portugal too. And I was like, can I still get out of the country without? And they were like, yes. And I was like, cool, I'll do that. (laughs) And luckily I got out. I got, I went through customs really easily, but then BAD, decided to delay my flight for two hours and I got back at uh, 4am on Thursday morning. Mm. Uh, So I had jet lag, even though there was no time difference between Portugal and England. But other than that, it was great fun. Mm. I read five books. And I wrote some of my short stories, and yeah, yeah it was uh, it was a nice escape. I got a tattoo, a new <laughs> one, which fucking hurt. Like I, I didn't even realize until afterwards that's a very painful place to get it. I got it like in the inside of my like bicep on my right hand side, but you know I just did my breathing. Yeah. I, I thought
2: that's not meant to be painful because it's bone. Bone is the bad. No, place.
1: well I don't know, but it really really hurt. But also, I got a palm leaf design. I got a date palm leaf design, and um, and it like most of my tattoos have been very minimal in a sense. But this was very detailed. There are a lot of leaves on this palm, right? Thing. And so there were some parts of it where it really, really hurt. Some it didn't, and yeah, I just kind of breathed, breathed through it, and I realized like, hmm, okay, Han, if you get another tattoo, let's get a bit more, a tiny little one. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> but it's good. It was great, and mm. it, uh, it was nice to get out of London. I think. Mm.
0: Hannah, that all sounds amazing, but presumably not as amazing as the thing that you brought me from Portugal. And I can't wait to find out what that is. Personally, mm-hmm. I've really got
1: you the lovely sunny day.
0: <laughs> I knew that was you. Thank you so you're much. You're welcome, Clarice. <laughs> have you brought me any gifts this lovely week? From where? What's the demanding gifts. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> I'm just asking the question. I'm not demanding anything that's all
2: I've barely left my house so what could I
0: <laughs> there's Do this thing want... called online shopping i um, not sure if you know about it but it's a it's, it's new have... thing these here
2: days. you go so I have some matches for you <laughs> to reflect what a burning source of energy and inspiration
0: you are oh thank you so much that, that was beautiful that was touching <sighs> say <Same> that <laughs> <again. laughs> Have you been up to anything else this lovely week?
2: Um, oh, I've been working on something I can't really talk about, but um, you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> 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 it's very, it's extremely on brand for me, the thing that I did this week. <laughs> um, so
0: keep a keep a look out on the old <laughs> awesome. uh, Twitter. I shall, I shall. The coolest thing that I have done this week is something that I haven't done yet, because we're recording this on the Friday. On the Saturday, I will be going to the Royal Albert Hall to watch Black Panther live, the live orchestra, which I am very, very excited for. I've done these types of events before. I think the last one I did was Home Alone with a score by this guy called... Oh, yes, John Williams, the greatest composer of all time. (laughs) (laughs) That's the very one. I'm just saying
1: to myself, it's like, is that a movie you kind of need the live orchestra for. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not one that like, you imagine, need the like, live Lloyd. orchestra
0: for, but it's one that you you, you want because it's, it was awesome. It was very, do bonus. you have
1: someone live? Was there was someone live there just to be going like the bit where, um, Catherine O'Hara goes, Kevin! <laughs> just, I love it. If there was just someone there just to do it live.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they have the, um, just the dialogue with subtitles playing and then everything else is the orchestra. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be very, very cool. And the soundtrack, the soundtrack, the score uh, to Black Panther is amazing. Obviously, Oscar winning score, we won the Oscar for it uh, in 2019, rightfully so, uh, because that, that music is fantastic and very integral uh, to the film. Uh, so, yeah, it's time to do that tomorrow. There's some good
1: like film things going on in London, isn't it? Among.
0: There are. Would you care to mention one of them?
1: Oh, well, yeah. We've got we from the eighth to eleventh of June. There's the BFI Film on Film Festival. Uh, so basically, it is at South, uh, BFI Southbank, and they're gonna be showing different type of films shot on Super Eight millimeter to like seventy millimeter, rare flammable nitrate to three D. Um, there's, I think, there's quite a few different, and uh, they're gonna have people down there. So I feel like. Um, Uh, Edgar Wright, Asif Kapardi, and Alice Lowe um, are showing some Super 8 shorts. You can watch Kristen Nolan's Batman trilogy on 70mm, which is cool. I think there's a few things that I'm kind of keen to see. Um, I've never seen Service for Ladies, which is 91 years old. And apparently that's like the oldest print to be screened in the UK. Wow. And I want to see Rebel. I've never seen Rebel Without Cause on the big screen. And, or Far and Away, um, but there's loads of stuff, so. And then you've got Sundance London, which is taking place for its 10th edition. God, it's been going over 10 years, that's wild. I remember going to the first one, where it was at um, uh, the like, O2 Arena, mm. and I remember it, because I remember they had like, uh, what's his name, Jordan Vote roberts first film, Kings of Summer. I remember they had like mm. a documentary called Muscle Shoals. I remember going down that's the first a bit of film coverage I ever did. Uh, but I yeah, remember so that. Yeah. Do you remember <laughs> did, that? Did they
0: have Frank there as well, the Michael Fassbender film?
1: I'd maybe, if it, I don't know if it was that year or the year after, but okay. it could be. I mean, 10 years, I can't even think. 10 years ago, so that's 2013. Yeah, maybe. But this <laughs> year they've got, so it's 6th and 9th of July at Pitch House Central. And they've got You Hurt My Feelings, which is Julia, Louis Dreyfus and um, Tobias Menzies. Uh, that's a Nicola Olufsenna's yeah. film she did enough said that's said, the uh, James Gandolfini one the last yeah, one yeah that's did, right not it yeah uh, there's Passages Scrapper Fairyland Mutt Past Lives Invisible Beauty Fantastic Machine yeah it's a fair through so uh, that's our we've just done our uh, cinematic civic duty to film festivals <laughs> in
0: London indeed lots of exciting events coming up but speaking of events let's get to the main event which is this podcast and we're going to start with master gardener
2: the nandina is a species of flowering plant native to eastern asia the smell at certain times of the year gives you a real buzz like the buzz you get just before pulling the trigger. I have a favorite ask. What is it? My grandniece. I would like you to take her on as an apprentice. She dropped out of school and then
0: she ended up in a bad crowd. You'll learn how to garden. Are you satisfied with the life that you have? How would you ask that?
1: You talk a lot of shit, but there's one thing you don't talk
0: about. What's that? Yourself. There's not much to know. Baby, I compare you to a kiss from a rose on the gray. Ooh, the more I get of you, the stranger it feels, yeah. And now that your rose is in bloom, a light hits the gloom on the gray. La um,
1: funny funny fact, I was listening to um the Brett Goldstein's uh, movies uh, The movies should yeah. be very movies be very yeah. well, podcast pod. the other Patel and shout out himish patel who also recognizes that batman forever is a sensational film
0: yes uh, it I is
1: thank you like, thank you, you for saying that like my cool. i actually kind of think it's my favorite batman
0: see movie. and now you lost me <laughs> <laughs> kevin conroy Master we of get South it political. you love
1: kevin conroy <laughs> <laughs> it's established you talk about kevin conroy the way i talk about dr Afra. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but um, I think there was a point was that he mentioned that like apparently, so that song was for Batman Forever that was used, but it wasn't mm-hmm. even like a song written for the film, and it ended up winning a Grammy, but apparently it was yeah. on like the NeverEnding Story 3 soundtrack, and it was like on an old album, and then because they reused it and shot a music video back when it was like a whole thing where you do like a themed music video, then it runs a <laughs> Grammy, so that's just like so funny to me, how like... How just putting pairing the song with the right film can suddenly make it a massive hit because mm. it penetrates the culture in a way, and obviously DC Batman means such a big, so many people are seeing it. So yeah,
0: yeah, that's uh, wild. Amazing. We just at this point, we just have a whole section called Flint dropping knowledge. It's happening. Flint <laughs> <laughs> <Trin-sex>. facts. <laughs> uh, but we are talking about Master Gardener, um, a meticulous horticulturist, is devoted to tending the grounds of a beautiful estate owned by a wealthy dowager. When he's told to take on her troubled great niece as an apprentice, his life is thrown into chaos and dark secrets from his past emerge. This is written and directed by Paul Schrader and it stars Joel Edgerton, Sigourney Weaver and Quintessa Swindell. Um, Let's talk about the pacing of this movie to start off with.
1: I can see on your face, so funny, because I love that you bring it up, so I know he's going to be like, I hated it. <laughs> I hated the pacing.
0: <laughs> There's some times where I don't like how well you know me, Hannah Flint. It's but just you have this face,
1: days. the face that you pull, it's like, <laughs> I can see him trying to like, like finesse a way to shit on the <laughs> But he wants, like, so I thought this, but like.
0: Yeah. Hannah Flint, what did you think of the pacing <laughs> of this movie?
1: Loved it. Smashed it. Absolute pace. Was on it. Kept my heart racing. Sensational. Iman, what did you think?
0: (laughs) I thought it was very slow. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was very, very slow. And to a degree, I mean, I know it's by design and I know that that fits the lead character because he's very meticulous and he has this cadence with which he speaks Am I going to get into the performances in a bit? I think Joel Edgerton... Is always, I've never seen him be bad in anything, and this is this hasn't broken that streak. But I did find it to be a little bit slow. Mm. Clarice, what say you?
2: I really enjoyed the pacing. I think there was a... There was a nice, like... <laughs> like, wallowing in it. And I, I mm. sort of just enjoyed being in that world because I don't know very much about horticulture. Mm. And I think... Mm one of the things i do really love about paul schrader is that like he always sort of takes on the obsessions of his protagonist and so the movie is so like ingrained in the world of of plants and flowers and i feel like i learned a lot um it was kind of, it was quite pleasurable in that way. I mean, we're kind of I dancing around. I feel,
1: like, I feel like, I just imagine you, like, watching the card counter and, like, heading to Atlantic City. <laughs> I Honestly,
2: one of my favorite things about the card counter was learning about card counting.
1: <laughs>
2: like, I didn't really enjoy any of the stuff about him being a soldier and a war veteran, but I was like, I, I enjoyed watching Oscar Isaac play cards and learning how to play cards. It's <laughs> so one of my favorite it. things, of or the three, like, men in the room this trilogy that he's made my favorite thing about all three of those movies is just the detail that he like puts into these people's lives it's really nice to just like drop into somebody's somebody el- else's life for a bit I mean we're talking around like one theme of the movie that was not is not like the fun enjoyable part of me wanting to hang around with that guy I just want to clarify but the plant shit was very enjoyable and I love their meetings and how kind of um yeah, uneventful but meditative their mm. lives were. I would like to be a plant person.
1: Can I just say something? You say that, but I bought a massive like bag of compost today and I've repotted all my plants. Is this the Master Gardener effect? Oh my god. <laughs> 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 look, look,
0: I'm
1: just gonna hold my laptop up, but you see that that was a cheese plant that I've twined up. I've got some bamboo. Like cool. okay. Hopefully that's the only thing I take from that gardener, novel. Raw.
2: Yeah, did I w- it w- did it I make you feel like you were a- destined for heaven?
1: <laughs> you know what it made me feel like when I put my hands in the compost and felt the skin, like the the earth on my skin. I felt like a deeper connection to the world. Mm. I didn't actually. I spent ages trying to get like fucking soil out from my Should have bought gloves.
0: <laughs> so, what about your connections with these characters? Let's start with Quintessa Swindell's Maya, actually. Um. Last time, I taught, last time I saw Quintessa on screen was in Black Adam. Uh, it's fair to say that she was not utilised very well in that movie. And <laughs> was not the best display of her talents. Here, she gets a lot more to do. And I think, by and large, she acquits herself very, very well. Uh, Hannah, what do you think of her performance?
1: I think she did a great performance. But I do think the characters... just. I, I, love, I really enjoy Paul Schrader's movie. And it's like, there's so many of them that have followed this same format. A man in a, like a man in a room and they pretty much both since Taxi Driver I just focus on like a guy and it's always some girl <laughs> damsel who needs some sort of help for them to find some redemption for you know she's basically playing the Jodie Foster character from Taxi Driver um and I kind of feel like basically they're the same formula each each time except for like I will give the credit to Paul Schrader like the main character like the protagonist has evolved rather like he's got older and it kind of reflects where Paul Schrader is on in his life so um so I would say that I kind of like the way Quintessa played the character I think she didn't overdo it and it I compare it like when I compare her performances to Sigourney Weaver who are doing two very different things but it mm-hmm. works really well because it also reflects like Sigourney's performance feels like something that Betty Davis would do, <laughs> like that, the- that very crisp theatricality that suits this person who's very traditionally minded. Certain things that she says, where it's like from the very beginning of, I say, from the very beginning of this movie, the minute I saw Joel Edgerton's haircut, I was like Nazi, <laughs> <laughs> and then Sigourney Weaver, I knew that she was kind of like old money whites, you know, white supremacist type. Because the way she talks about it, she's she called describe the character her no, grandnie says mixed blood mm-hmm. so there's, there's something about it like she's raised in a certain time where it's like oh that's their norm you right so and Quintessa feels like yeah a girl like a young girl of today who's having to deal with shit and like I love the fact love it when there's uh, when they're in the room together her and Sigourney have this great scene over lunch which I think is handled very well. But fundamentally, I do think that there's uh, the, the pro- progression of that character and the decision she makes towards the end of the movie, I did not believe. So performance-wise, really enjoyed it. Uh, character-wise, could not get to grips with it.
0: I would have to agree on both counts of that. Um, the Nazi you referring to is Joel Edgerton's character and that twist really appended the movie uh, for me. I get what Schrader was going for, but that was, it became a thing where the black character was almost absolving the white character and that's always dangerous. Um, these types of films, we just saw it in a similar way with um, Empire of Light. In a, similar similar but different um, and this is another film that goes in that direction and again as you say Hannah it was not believable as good as the acting was as good as the chemistry between Joel Edgerton and Quintessa Swindell was I did not believe that relationship once that was revealed to a large extent Clarice where do you fall on this?
2: I mean I I don't know if I've ever found I'm trying to think. I'm, maybe I'm generalizing here. In general, I don't find Paul Schrader movies believable, but that's sure. sort of what's interesting about them. Is like, I mean, Hannah, to to kind of repeat what you said. Every kind of every movie is him like <laughs> resting um, or tussling with this this Calvinist upbringing that he had. Right, where the main idea with Calvinism is that. Like God has decided that a set amount of people are going to heaven and those are the Calvinists and everybody else is fucked Um, and so it feels like every movie he makes is trying to prod at that core idea from different angles so I never seen hardcore he's no longer a Calvinist
1: though by the way just to
2: yeah, like, but I think he's still like, priest,
1: but he's still a God fearing man, but I think yeah. he's now. But it was I his I think he's upbringing. like Episc- Episcopalian or something now. He's yeah, a different thing. But he's and He went to, theology, yeah. to study theology at like a Calvin. Yeah, and
2: he had a very like strict and so that I feel like I mean that's the thing I'm not Catholic anymore, but I'm sure if I made movies, they would all Catholic. be about Catholic <laughs> guilt, right? <laughs> it's very yeah. true. It's about what religion you're brought up in. I feel like quite often, but um, yeah, and and. Um, so yeah, I'd never seen Hardcore and I, I watched it for the first time this week and it was like, that's such an interesting movie because it's about the character is Calvinist, like going to find his daughter who's gone to disappear into LA's porn scene and he's like trying to resist all this temptation all around him. And I so I think this one, I don't know, like it's interesting, this idea of like, is someone, can someone undam themselves? Like that's always an interesting question. And um, I think in, like, some scenes and in some aspects of the movie, like, I I was kind of like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, I can, and there's a, I mean, there's so much vulnerability in his movies, and I do really appreciate that. Um, But yeah, at the same time, it just, I think, Hannah, you said that, it just, it doesn't really... (laughs) I think because it's so much about unresolved questions, like the movie just doesn't really end with anything that feels satisfying or like yeah. at least like honest enough to be, to say, I don't know what the fucking answer is.
1: I think that's, and then and, and it's sort of to say, I have no issue with having, having a protagonist who's a recovered Nazi, right? Who's like, proud boy, who's, because, you know, I, I, what, I, what I actually quite enjoyed about this film is the flashbacks. Mm. kind of get an understanding of where this person has come from and I think actually sometimes it's important to remember people aren't born Nazis right Hitler youth right and again like this and people they do and like kind of you know it's not an excuse but you're trying to understand people aren't born evil they're like you know nurtured And I think getting into that like you know even when as you're a gardener right even getting into that symmetry of you're growing they're growing this hatred there's a really interesting there's a the line stuck with me is like we pull out the weeds where it's like in a flashback from this old guy like the old major white supremacist like and you get how like you know the kind of idea of reading and putting things together and what's going to work and all this type of stuff you I kind of like the kind of metaphor and the symmetry of that within what he does now versus what you know the kind of ideology of Nazism to have like the purest form of whatever but because I think about like American History X is as a perfect example of a film where it shows you like a someone who's come out has made mistakes and recognizes that I've done wrong and then he's trying to get his bro- younger brother Edward Furlong I think it is it's it's, it's uh, um, Ed Norton and and it's just like can you get out of it and my issue with the film is that it speeds past it literally it's, you say it about the pace I'm on. it is a long film. And yet, it gives, like, mere moments for this kind of recognition, this kind of, like, third, like third act kind of conflict to be resolved. <clears throat> and that's why I say it's unearned, because there are moments in the... I think there are good moments in the film where it shows that what this person does has done is unforgivable. You know, he has a police handler, and it's a suggestion that once he's kind of passed this, you know, whatever... it would be stay in touch and the guy's like no (laughs) no dude (laughs) we are we are done (laughs) like (laughs) you are a terrible person and not to get into like the weeds pardon the pump of (laughs) what the situation is but yeah definitely that ending but i would you know i think it's interesting i just and i like this one better because it gave a bit more context Context compared to the card counter, which kind of didn't give much, you know, it didn't give mm. but beyond the horrible, horrific things that was going on in the uh, in the prison, the, the prison that they were basically just like these American soldiers just flogging, torturing, brown, you know, Muslim men. Is that our grave? Uh, uh, prison. Anyway, I like the fact that at least this gave a little bit more context for me to me understand the character more than I think the cow counter did. Yeah, I felt I could empathise with his character, and I think it is an interesting kind of thought process. But I, I don't think Paul Schrader is ever concerned with what we think about at the end of the film. Like he doesn't give a shit <laughs> if you think it's, he doesn't care. And I suppose that's his pr- prerogative. And I, you know, fair, fair play to him. But um I think you can, yeah, again, our job. We can like a film, but also recognise that certain bits don't work for us. And for me, everything worked except for the resolution concerning that relationship um but i you know joel edgerton i think picking him is a very good shout (laughs) to play this character he's got such a one of those faces where i feel like he could is like the kindest but also the most deadliest (laughs) do you know i mean that kind of like oh a shift and suddenly the guy's literally gonna kill you or he will give you the best hug in the world
2: he's got there's something about the characters he always play where where it's like loyalty to an extreme where it it can become like either he he will be there for you at the very end and it will be really pure or like in this movie he's so easily corruptible because he will just pledge loyalty to people so I don't know I feel like that's what I always get from every single one of his characters and Mm. that's why I love him he's
0: great I would have liked the same attention to detail even just more detail than we got to have been paid to a character like Maya, who I think is as a character just a little bit on the minds. we don't really know. Well, yeah, she's or, a trope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, she's there
1: to serve a purpose. She's a tool for his his redemption, and that's what I take issue. I think, but then again, I feel like he does that a lot. <laughs> there's always some girl like like sleeper. There's like the ex, and, you know, and then but then you have like Susan Sarandon's character, who's like a Sigourney, You know what I mean? That kind of far more to her. I don't know. I think. Schrader is not a perfect filmmaker. But I, I do appreciate some of the swings he's doing if it so serves the overarching story. But of course, mm. yeah, like, um, there was enough. Can I just say I really love the production design on this, on this film as well.
0: Yeah. I also really love Devante Hines' score. I it was very good, yeah, very yeah, atmospheric. Um, blood
1: Orange, right? He's British. That is correct. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah really really good stuff there Um, let's go to our screen stream or skip verdict on Master Gardener, Clarice I'm
2: trying to think what I give Mm. like I'm never I'm never mad at watching a portrait or movie but I'm going to say screen just looking at what else is out this week of the things to watch this week I would say watch this, I enjoyed it the most
0: Hannah
1: Yeah, I'm going to say great. I also really just saw my production design thing. There's a jellyfish wallpaper that I thought was sensational. And yes. I want it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. The, the house that she's in, her house is just insane and I was like, "Wow. That and is I, some good set dressing."
2: <laughs> I loved this stair room. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah. There's something about the garden, like the garden center's stamp room and their little kitchenette that I was like, this is so blissful. I hope this is what Calvinist heaven is like. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. There's little coffees, little snacks. When he's like explaining all the snacks, it's like, this is wonderful. I watched two hours of this.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a nice room, I grant you, but horticulture is not the life of me because my hay fever would be just going crazy uh also not for me this film uh it's a skip from me sorry uh we are sticking with nazis but this time we're killing them uh, it's time to talk Sisu. <laughs> what that was a perfect segue love it five stars no notes
2: Sisu su, Sisu su, Sisu su, Sisu! Um, that was meant to be zubi zubi zu. Zo. <laughs> With Sisu, which is the name of this film that I have not seen. Set in Finnish Lapland during World War II, the film follows a former legendary Finnish commando and gold prospector who attempts to secure his stolen gold and defend himself from a German death squad led by a brutal SS officer. Written and directed by Jalmari Helander, the film stars Yoma Tomila, Ashkel Henny, Jack Doolin, and Mimosa Willamo. And um, so I got the impression from a lot of the marketing for this movie that they were really trying to make me think that it was going to be like Inglorious Bastards. i I don't know i have no idea this is me saying this purely from like the poster and i think i saw one teaser trailer but it was giving me the vibe that it wanted me to think that was i correct in thinking that i'm on no No. okay (laughs) well the marketing department fucked up then i'm sorry (laughs) what is the movie like then because i Tell me about the vibe.
0: (laughs) It is fun, is what it is. It is Nazis getting chopped up and brutalized in. That's what happens in a glorious (laughs) bastards. Don't tell me I'm wrong.
1: I I actually do think it is that they were trying to play that because actually people have have compared it to Tarantino esque. it's Trying to. Thank you. you I didn't
2: (laughs) say anything inappropriate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would say the Inglorious Bastards, let's say, has better character work than this film does. It's very, very thin. I will grant it that. Um, and when I say grant it. I say I'll grant Hannah that because I know that she was not a big fan of this film as I was. Um, but I had so much fun with it, and um, so much fun. Interestingly, like normally, I'm like the logic guy sort of make it make sense guy and there's a lot in this film that if you look at it that way will just confuse and bemuse you because you're like but but how did that happen and how did he get out of that um but as the film went on i just found myself not really thinking about that too much and just surrendering myself to the carnage and oh what glorious carnage there is in this film i had a good time
2: I mean, Hannah, would you say it, it, that makes it sound like it is, if not Inglorious Prince, is definitely trying to go for that sort of Nazi exploitation movie that used to yeah. be more popular. But- yeah, I mean, what tonally... I mean, I don't know. I I think it's an interesting question of, like, what what are we doing here with these movies?
1: <laughs> yeah. For me, it's definitely, like there's not even I suppose even uh, What was that you were talking about like with cocaine bear when it was a kind of like like yeah what you said I think it's re- the Nazi exploitation stuff of like the 70s like mm, in that 80s, like
2: consciously that trying to yeah, replicate yeah, like, this very underground style of filmmaking yeah. but on a big budget
1: like you could imagine like Chuck Nor- Norris would have done this character like 20 odd years ago or something but at least that had I don't know like they had, like, Chuck Norris, who's kind of, a, for some reason, he's just quite a charismatic, like, person. You kind of love Chuck Norris in the role. There's something about him. Even, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's not a great actor, he's but he's good at being Arnold Schwarzenegger specifically. He's got that that something. The lead actor in this, I found him to be just quite unremarkable. Like, the things that he's doing, obviously, right, but it was also just, like, I don't know why I'm supposed to care. There wasn't even, like... um I feel like they were trying to make. He was trying to be a bit like Clint Eastwoody, and then without again, Clint Eastwood's that kind of, you know, growl or something where he can just give a look or like a raised eyebrow or something like that that can make you feel like, oh yeah, this is <laughs> this is a dude that's like quite scary. This guy was just quite. He was doing something. He was. It was like he was in a different movie to the rest of the actors, and then the other actors. See, this is what I didn't get about it as well. It's like it's a Finnish film set in Finland. We're dealing with Nazis, but they're speaking English. That's that thing kind of annoyed me a bit because, and also they're speaking the the phrases that they were using were modern day phrases, which annoys me as well. Like I don't think they were saying like we call people a bitch or like an asshole, like things like that. Like I don't think that's the things that they were that it was saying. So it's just kind of again this very modern dialogue that felt like jarring because of the piss where it's set. It's also just like doesn't even have the comedy the comedy to kind of back up the kind of cheesiness of it like it it just felt like it was just kind of like fight sequence after like bloody fight sequence it was just you know with nothing there were not enough with the string that was very like threadbare between and it got to a point where I was just bored of watching the carnage it wasn't even that interestingly shot either it was just like okay oh we're gonna do it on a minefield okay, now we're dealing with, like, a boat. Oh, now we're dealing with, like, some, you know, again. And then, yeah, I just got very bored. And what I noticed noticed about when I was at the screening for it at the multimedia, lots of people getting up to go to the loo. So many people were getting up, and I kind of feel like that's because they weren't, <laughs> they were just distracted because it's like, okay, <laughs> I need to go to the loo. I'm not going to miss much here. I went to the loo, and I did not miss much. Um, I just found it an absolute chore to get through.
2: Well, okay, Mon. I want to talk about. Tell me about like the way that the action plays out. Because what sort of action are we talking about? Is it like a lot of hand-to-hand combat? You've mm. mentioned there's mention of minefields. Is it uh trying to be like does it has it got the same athletic? kind of camera work as... Fuck, I've forgotten the name of the movie. George Mackay running across the trench. 1917. <laughs> 1917. <laughs> is it got that sort of 1917, like, one guy barreling through a war vibe to it? It doesn't have the
0: 1917 vibe going through it, but I think there are a couple of sequences which are really cleverly shot. I love the minefield sequence. Like, I was wondering... The, the beautiful thing about this, I was wondering a lot of the time, like, how is he going to get out of the situation he's in because there's a lot of times you feel like they, they, they got him <laughs> there's no escape there's no way around it the mindfulness especially is just like what in the hell is he gonna do and the way in which they get out of that and the way in which that is shot i think is really really clever um so so that was cool there's a sequence as hannah mentions on a boat and I think that is also smartly done. I, 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 there's a couple of shots where they go underwater. Um, and that's uh, very creative and very sort of artful. I like the way that that was done. And in terms of the lead performance, I just wanted to touch on that, because I know that you didn't have it. I thought that is, I think his name is Jorma Tamilla, who plays the main guy, Corby. I thought he was very, very compelling and that he did communicate a lot with just a look. Um, he doesn't, speak for let's say the vast majority of the movie and i think he does more with zero dialogue than other actors do with a whole bunch of dialogue i thought he was fantastic um so yeah i i, I was digging it and my ass was in my seat and i was glued to it and i was having a great time all the way through. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, I feel like we've sort of covered everything that I need to know about Sisu. Um, I mean, was there anything else that stood out positive or negative
1: about think this movie? I my issue is that I feel like if it's going to be, try to be it's it's positioned as this real bombastic film and it's actually quite like the blood and the score of it all. But like, even like the main villain guy, it's just very boring. Like, where's I, you know, you kind of want to go in and have this like eccentric kind of like, insane Nazi, right? You want to have, like, when I think about, you know, we mentioned Inglourious Bastards. I mean, there's something mm. about Christoph Waltz where he just is insane, but does it in such a great way. And I think that's the problem as well. as like, they're not very good actors. No, like, they, this is, feels like a VOD movie that they basically put on general release because it did very well back in Finland. They think, okay, let's do it. Let's give it some money. I, I, I If you did this in the UK, it would be straight to video on demand thing. I, I don't, I really don't understand why people are liking it. And I have to say, there was a bit when I was leaving, <laughs> the, when I was leaving the cinema and I talked my, to my friend of me and this woman who was wearing a Sisu t-shirt, she's like, she was like, oh girls, did you, what do you think about Oh, you didn't see it, did you? You girls didn't see it. I was like, yes we did. And then she goes, oh, what did you think? I say like, oh, not for me. She goes, oh, was it a bit too much? Was it a bit too violent? And I'm just like, no. And that's my annoyance about it. It's like, I love violence this is a girl who literally obsessed with battle royale the raid like i love like Quentin tarantino i love crazy fucked up shit but i like it when it's done with a bit of finesse with a bit of countenance something but you I mean at the end they had a bloody shot that felt like that really unearned feminist walkout from the avengers endgame sit, and it was like okay that's oh. good, you, know? Do you know what i mean it was just it, it, things like that. It just felt very. I just, yeah. It just felt like such a chore. I kind of feel like, I. I think my problem is, is that I read a four star review of it, and then I was expecting great things so I kind of trust that reviewer. And I went in and I was like, oh, this is. So yeah, maybe sometimes don't, don't listen to our podcast, guys. Just go see it, <laughs> or right. don't.
2: So the conclusion is, do not trust critics. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Come on, I feel like you
2: want to... We're doing closing statements. Oh, Come on. gosh. And then uh, I will decide... Disregard
0: everything Hannah Pinnett has said in the last <laughs> 10 minutes. This film is all awesome. <laughs> i I want the chip.
1: You can't help
0: but I will say that I would have liked a little bit more meat on the character bone uh, at times. Um, especially that there's a group of women uh, who pop up later on in the film um, and again, they're very very interesting and add a little bit of context. But they, there was definitely room to do a little bit more there. You um,
1: he heard it here, members of the jury. You <laughs> oh <He> agree?
0: <laughs> 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 but overall, this is a film that you grab your popcorn, you grab your lady, lady, you grab your man. Let's do you want to go see a movie where Nazis get all kinds of messed up? They will say yes. Oh, you do you go... want to see
1: a movie where a Nazi falls in love? <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, dear. Um, Just don't let, let, let
1: you... anyone know you're going to see that one. <laughs> Keep it on the
0: DL. They will say yes to the first one. You will buy popcorn. You will have a great time. And then you will go on Twitter. You will go to at And you will say, Amon was right. Thank you, Amon. CC was great. Or oh, they will, will be target
1: you and say, that's 90 minutes of my life. I'm never getting back. I'm taking 90% of your body.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm torn, Amon. I would love to believe you, but it, this is giving me flashbacks to everyone saying Overlord was good and then I watched it. I
1: loved it was... Overlord. Overlord oh, was it. great. Sorry. That is how so to much. do an art exploitation. <laughs> yeah. I think I really actually, Overlord that, has like one of the best, like dunk, uh, like was it, is it uh, Dunker Landings? Is that what he landed on? You know, I always yeah. think, like, I always think about like Saving Private Wine as one of the best, like opening shot of Wine, like, right. kind of, like Normandy, Normandy Landings, right?
2: The plane yeah. in the beginning.
1: Yeah, that was an amazing sequence. I thought that was rem- and, like in the sense of you felt viscerally fucking scared. Like I was holding on to the seat. I was like, oh, this is like intense. I feel you like know what? A I will agree.
2: The beginning was good, and it yeah. really went downhill from there for me. And then you're like zombies,
1: yeah, and then you're, the Paul Schrader came out. It was like it was great, but then the zombies came, and I it was just as I agree. Did with you Paul see Trader, a thing about the Last the of Us? Yeah. No.
2: <laughs> I don't agree with him on the Last of Us. I would agree with him if he said that about Overlord. I just love it.
1: That's, I sometimes feel like the only reason I'm on keeping Facebook is for Paul Schrader. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: what crazy thing i, I don't even need next.
1: it i probably just like got, i'm sure there's like some account that basically posts like, you should get a paul Substack. he should <laughs>
2: um,
1: he used to be that... a film critic though didn't he paul schrader he did
2: yeah didn't he get fired because he slated easy rider which is a really funny reason to get fired
1: i love that i love how you get fired for like doing your job i know like... i
2: didn't i didn't know that was possible and now i'm scared
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah Wow. Hopefully, no one's getting fired for whatever their opinion on Sisu is, but I always screen streaming or sc- I quit cinema. It.
1: Cinema is dead to me. I cannot go
2: on. <laughs> I mean, I think I know what the answer is going to be,
0: but
2: Hannah, let's start with you.
1: Skip.
0: Amon. I concur. You should skip to the cinema and watch Sisu. <laughs> <our
1: freedom's laughs>
2: wow oh fuck <laughs> from 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 part of world war ii to part of your world it's the little mermaid
0: you broke the rules
2: about you seems different. I can't quite figure it out.
0: She got legs, you idiot.
1: That doesn't make us enemies. I want to be where the critics are. I want to see, want to see them reviewing. What's wrong with the original and why does it, what's the word, need a remake? Oh my god.
2: The only thing it was missing was the hair flip, otherwise, no notes. Perfect.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I haven't seen this yet because I didn't have time before um, uh, before screening and I was away. I my own little mermaid life in uh, the other half. Oh, but, you know, we all know the story, right? Ariel, the youngest daughter of the undersea King Triton, is fascinated with the human world, but mermaids are forbidden to explore it. After saving Prince Eric from a shipwreck and falling in love with him, she becomes determined to be with him in the world above water. These actions lead to a confrontation with her father and an encounter with the conniving sea bed, bitch, Ursula, making a deal with her to trade a beautiful voice for human legs so she can discover the world above the water and impress Eric. Can I just say that this is like the actual official synopsis <laughs> and it feels like, it feels like uh, going against the kind of like party line of what this thing is about, about being wow. feminist. But it's like, she wants to impress Eric. It's like, not much has changed.
2: Um wow, however, we can get into that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is ultimately places her life and a father's crown in jeopardy. So, directed by Bob Marshall, you know he did Chicago, he did the Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins returns. returns. <laughs> he also did. <laughs> he also did Memoirs of a Geisha, which actually I really like that film. Uh, the screenplay written by David uh, McGee, 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 Mister McGee, Mister McGoo, mm. David McGee. Uh, the film stars Halle Bailey in the titular role. It's the titular role! Sorry. Uh, along- <laughs> God, it's the final review of the day. Alongside <laughs> Jonah Howard King, Daveed Diggs, Aquafina, Jacob Tremblay, he's all grown up. He's a real boy. I
2: know. A yeah. collective son. I'm so I proud
1: know. of him. Noma Dumezweni, Javier Bardem, and Melissa McCarthy. Okay, so... um. How close is this to the original? It's insane to me that they've made it longer. Like an extra like 40 minutes longer than the original film, right? Um, so can you just talk to me about what what that extra 40 minutes gives the film? Does it give it something, or is it just uh just, you know, overbaked? I
0: was gonna answer I was gonna answer your initial question in terms of how close is it to the original. And to quote Ursula, that was close. Too close <laughs> is the answer to that question. <sighs> it adds 40 minutes and not enough of those 40 minutes are meaningful minutes for me. There are two early scenes with Ursula in this film. And they are essentially Ursula just talking to nobody but herself and the audience they eat- Sorry, <laughs> about what her big plot is. <laughs>
2: You do not. <laughs> we do not disrespect Watson and Jackson. Okay, in this but house. still,
0: the point is, <laughs> the point is, you could easily remove those scenes and it would have no impact on the movie. I get that probably the thinking there was, let's get Ursa, let's get Melissa McCarthy on screen as soon as possible. But if that's the case, you need to make it more meaningful than that. There are some changes that they do make, which are. By and large, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're sort of all terrible. Some of them actually quite smart, but too much of it still feels superficial. There's nothing about it which is like, oh, I get why they wanted to make this a live action film because they wanted to put a really new, interesting spin on the story. That's never a feeling that I had watching this film.
2: Yeah, I I mean, this whole thing about, oh, in this version... Ariel's gonna be so feminist and she's gonna be, it's all about it's not about finding a guy heart I mean she finds a guy heart but like it's gonna be about her finding her, indip- I don't, none of that comes across in the movie, it's the same storyline but now Prince Eric has this really weird added extra thing where he's, there's so many scenes about like trade negotiations it's like the Star Wars prequels they're just always talking about trade for some reason And I don't think it adds anything because the fun thing that I liked about Prince Eric is that he was a himbo and he was like, he had that dog, the dog's still in the movie, but he was just like a a dumb guy with a dog. And, you know, Ariel was very into him because he was exciting and new and that was the point of the original Little Mermaid for me and I don't think... Any, like, young girl or teenage girl watching this is going to be like, oh my god, he's into trade routes? I, I love him. He's my new favorite guy. Like,
0: <laughs> no, one, no one is thinking that. And
2: this happens so much when they remake stuff and they think that they're being, like, really fresh and progressive. And it's like, you've just made it weird and overly complicated for no reason. Nobody cares about this. Just make him dumb.
1: So, so basically, it's exactly the same story, but they've given you like homework. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the
2: same story, but mm-hmm. there's ten scenes where they talk about trading. Um, which I will say, sorry to jump forward about the performances. I was excited about Jonah Howard King being Prince Eric because he played an extremely good himbo. In that movie, Old Boys with um Alex Luthor, do you remember mm. that in the private school? And he could have killed it, but they made him talk about trade for two hours. So
1: mm. he, does, he actually looked a lot like Eric. Yeah, looks I I like they got he got the dimples. He
2: could have been great. Um,
1: let Let's talk about the performances. I'm hearing Halle Bailey is really the pièce de résistance of this. She nailed it. Um, uh, Amon, what do you make of her?
0: Um, I thought that she was fantastic. Um, if I do say so myself, my, my shower singing, pretty epic. Not even I, my shower singing, can reach the notes that Halle Bailey can. Because uh, she is incredible. And the way that she modulates her voice, it's really, really impressive. Um, so, yeah. And when she loses her voice, as the story is wont to do, uh, she... Is also quite expressive with her face in certain terms of communicating various looks. So, yeah, by far and away, she is the MVP of this movie. Conquer? Oh,
1: my God. Yeah. I no,
2: mean... I don't know why I keep
1: watching it on French,
2: though. doesn't... Isn't, <laughs> maybe,
0: isn't like the French Caribbean. Has and the set, chef. Isn't <laughs> the chef in the... They come out, which oh, is very sad. Ah, yes! Well, well to, to, you, so you bring that up. I was going to say this, but you bring that up now, Clarice. They they did not do leisson. Le okay. Poisson. <laughs> this so
2: album. this is the thing <laughs> about Le Poisson. I, I, the, at the premiere, Stanley Tucci was there, and I assumed he was there because he was playing the chef. He's not, <laughs> he's, not he's not in the Little Mermaid. I don't know why he was there. So that was the greatest mm. disappointment of my life to realize that he was not
0: playing. Because he should have been that role. I just it's one of the best songs from the original movie and it's not in it. and instead we get a song by eric which is well performed but i do not remember a single note a single lyric from this thing it is so don't forgetful. forget
2: the rap there's there's a there's, no no, no <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a rap by all and the b digs which i did have a lot of fun with it has lynn manuel miranda's fingerprints soul mind brain everything all over it um and it is fun, and I did enjoy that. But yeah, the, the Eric song I did absolutely did, Hannah, did absolutely nothing. if for I me.
2: asked you right now to rap for me, what you would imagine a Lin Manuel Miranda Little Mermaid rap would sound like, it would be the song that's in the movie. <laughs> it's I. It's so hard to believe that it's not a parody, and I love him so much. But it's like it's hilariously like what. <laughs>
1: I, this also, I think, is really ma- interesting is Lin-Manuel Miranda is not edgy. <laughs> he is, like, I don't know. He's, like, he's, you know, he's very good at what he does. But he is, like, family friendly, mm. right? He's not crazy edgy. Mm-hmm. Like, Alan Menken and, and Howard Ashman, they're edgy. <laughs> they did a mm-hmm. little shop of horror, right? You know, like, Ursula was based on Divine, right? There's, like, I mean... There's a mm-hmm. real sexy appeal. like she, I don't know, like she, they understood the campness of these, they brought campness to musicals and they injected that into like the kind of like, I don't know, they kind of made, they, they're kind of, I credit them for their music and their lyrics of kind of creating that gap between adults and kids of like, adults can mm-hmm. enjoy this, but also kids can enjoy this, mm. but adults will know something, you know, Think about, you know, for it since mm-hmm. Aladdin, the stuff with Iago, like the genie and all that type of stuff. That's like Megara, mm-hmm. the great. first
2: canonical the princess yeah. who canonically fucked. Mm-hmm.
1: Like Yeah, she did. She mm-hmm. to fuck I loved it. And she was I also can't... an older woman. Loved yes. it as well. But like, so I I did read somewhere that she doesn't Erste during her song Poor Unfortunately goes, she goes again, You know what it needs? language. Which is like a super sexy fucking moment, yeah. but apparently that's not in it. They edited it out. Nope.
0: Yeah. Mm -mm. yeah yeah
1: so can you talk to me a bit about like that's like the musical element like the delivery of it i mean of course we had you know some of the voices are kind of iconic when it comes to the singing people like you know it was actually interesting they did actually get a black actor to voice um uh sebastian i think he's supposed to be trinidadian that's his accent that he was trying to do not jamaican Mm. but then they got like david Diggs doing a fake Caribbean accent. So can yeah. we talk about the voices and the vocal? Because again, let's talk about the vocal delivery of some of the people who were like and, I, and also they did the Lion King thing, right? Like, photorealistic.
0: Yeah. I guess it's it's a tricky thing for me because The Little Mermaid is an animated film that I grew up loving, and I had that very much in my brain for the large majority of watching this film, and I was sort of not even consciously, just unconsciously doing a comparison in my brain as I was watching this. Halle Bailey was the only person that got me to stop thinking about that and to just revel in what she was doing. Everybody else, I was like but that was them better <laughs> in the in the original movie and I really liked the V Digs, but there's something in the delivery with the original, with, 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 with what Michael E. Wright, who's sadly no longer with us did with that Sebastian that just felt natural just had a soul, had a swagger to it that the V digs for all his skill is not able to replicate. Um, so yeah, but it's, it's so strange that cause I, right after I watched this live action one, I, I watched, have I you watched some clips from the original animated movie? There's a song called kiss the girl in oh, I don't know both it. movies, of course. <laughs> and in the original, the way in which the lead-in that Sebastian does for that percussion. is just so cool and so wings. memorable. Yeah, so, so you got your percussion, wings, String. and then he goes, no, he goes, words. Words. he goes, no, he goes, <laughs> wing
1: strings,
0: words. Touch actually a percussion, strings.
1: Oh, you wanted, you missed words. out one of them, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you went straight to words.
0: From me. No, I I was Look, you there you see it. in anyway. sitting there the zoo <laughs> uh, So the way in which he delivers the words line, especially, there's just something to that. And then when I listen to what the beat it just sounds so dry. And well, I, the same when they did the, that was just the, like the,
1: they did Lion King where they did a coon and Batata. Like no one can beat Nathan Lane. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Like I like Billy Ickler, I but say he's that not that Nathan some, Lane. Yeah. I will say that some of the visuals in these big numbers are beautifully done in live action, including Kiss the Girl. They really pull out all the stops for Under the Sea, although I know Carice Sorry, a can couple you of just explain that, you to me
1: what Sebastian looks like? I haven't looked at any of it, but like is he just look yeah. like a normal crab? Because the thing about Pretty what much. I don't understand is like animals are not cute. <laughs> Crabs yeah. aren't cute. They have no facial expression. So how are we supposed to get that, like, the crab is fucking worried about, like, Triton. Oh, he's going to kill us. You know what I mean? Because he's like a very stressful, anxious mm. little crab. All the time. Like, yeah, how they, do you express that when you're a photorealistic they, crabs crab?
0: They only have dialogue and delivery to rely on uh, with that. And David does a good enough job, I guess. But, again, it doesn't hold a candle to the original. please please. Because there's in. just a vibrancy. Sorry, scene, go on, but... There's just a, a vibrancy that they're able to add with the animation that you lose when you are translating it into live action. Well, and yeah, because in that? Under
2: the Sea, they my favourite part of that song is where they sing about the hot crustacean band. And in this movie, it's like, bitch, where? No. <laughs> <laughs> where is it? Because, <laughs> I, I mean, he tries to do... I mean, Rob Marshall... I I think is a great musical director. Like he understands the like the the motion and the camera placement and how you construct a musical sequence. But for like Under the Sea, he's trying to do this sort of Esther Williams tribute again with all the coral like spinning around, but it's like you're looking at nothing. (laughs) You're just looking at nothing because it's like bits of coral dancing. And to compare it to the original where it's like there is there are fish playing like the saxophone, and it's so fun and silly. And
1: the carpet plays the harp.
2: Yeah, and it's like that.
1: The bass playing the bass. I mean, bass <laughs> <play> the bass.
0: <laughs>
2: like I hate, I hate to be the Lion King defender again, but like I feel like that storyline at least translated more naturally onto an animal world. I think because this is mermaids, yeah. it's so fantastical that the photorealism just doesn't work and every scene with Javier Bardem <laughs> talking and oh, he's boy. like moving his arms that because they have to like do the thing to like um wade in water so they're constantly moving their arms and they look like you know when you load a video game character and it's like mm. in, <laughs> in waiting position
1: Bounces, and yeah. it
2: just it looks so it didn't work it looked so silly and the underwater stuff as well because we were coming off the back of Avatar Way of Water and Wakanda Forever I thought the underwater scenes looked quite good in that movie
1: mm. they
2: I think from my understanding made a far larger effort to actually shoot in water tanks than this movie did I think everything that's underwater is not is dry for wet in this and you can tell <laughs> you can really tell that they're not
1: if you want underwater to know, at yeah. any point it was. It was never going to be uh, where water levels like what they did. Yeah, that was insane. That's why it took yeah what, thirteen. But years I would to... say like <laughs> a better comparison
2: make. was Wakanda Forever, where they did yeah. some water tank stuff to at least give you the impression mm-hmm. that they were under the water at some point in the entire movie, and then they did do a lot of dry for wet. Mm-hmm. But this was all dry for wet, and it just the lighting was insane. The lighting looked very weird.
1: <laughs> well, we're gonna kind of continue somewhat of the conversation and a hot take. About d- is diversity an excuse blah 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 for a remake. But for now, let's get your screen, stream or skip verdicts. amon
0: huh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say stream. Um, you know I'm I'm gonna leave it. <laughs> <down. laughs> I'm, <gonna leave> <laughs> I'm gonna say stream.
2: Uh, skip over to Disney Plus and watch. Mary Poppins Returns which fucking (laughs)
0: slaps Rob Marshall it can I wasn't a
1: fan of Mary Poppins Returns no I love it so
0: much I had a good time with that
1: I'd suggest Chicago (laughs) also
2: Chicago is a great show Chicago I love
1: it Um, oh have you seen that show on Apple TV plus called Schmigadoon yes
2: their Chicago
1: parody was
2: so good
1: yeah the second season oh my god that's quite quite fun anyway okay so uh that's that's it for me
0: it is it from you for now but i will be coming back to you later hannah because we're about to get into our i don't know
1: why i went to the pretty
0: woman like, is she doing Little Mermaid? I'm like, no, I'm yes. Maybe okay, that's what I like. should do at the end of everyone just like
1: start singing a random song. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So, yeah, Um. Little Mermaid uh, has Halle Bailey, uh, as we've just discussed, the MVP of this live action movie. And the filmmakers and the talent have been talking up how awesome it is to have uh, a black female in this iconic. Uh, female role and that in and of itself is great and it's important and I love it for the fact that there will be an option now for uh, little black and brown girls growing up to see this character in this form but is that enough to justify this movie's existence now we putting diversity ahead of quality when we as a film critic body culture are discussing this movie Clarice, as somebody who has reviewed this movie formerly but in the independent and now just on the podcast what Louis say Larkry, you the
1: independent. In the discussion? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is and she doesn't watch ted lasso and i'm just like come
2: on yeah, my dad texts me like once a week he'll only talk to me about ted lasso at the moment <laughs> Is great.
1: <laughs> um, oh my god, you know what you just reminded me of? You know, and like um <laughs> I was the fact that you don't watch it is funny to me because remember the unbearable weight of massive talent, it's like I only watched these morbids. I only watched the cat doctor cabinet of Dr. Caligari because I thought you'd ask any way you'd like me. Oh, it's <laughs>
2: I did quite relate to that relationship, that dad-daughter relationship.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Um Well, I, I kind of wanted one thing I didn't mention in the review that I think kind of shows the limits of this stuff because, I mean, this is the thing, all the videos of little girls, like um, like black girls watching the trailers on TV and being like, oh my god, that mermaid looks like me, are so moving and like, I don't think anything mm-hmm. about the rest of the movie will ever take away from those experiences. But what always feels kind of like where you see sort of the performative aspect of it is that, so... In the casting of Jonah Hawking as Prince Eric, so his mother is a black queen, and this is meant to take place like somewhere, they don't think specify, but somewhere in the Caribbean in some sort of like vague historical past. And they mentioned that he was adopted because they found him in a shipwreck. And it sort of seems like there's this like very weird writing around the fact that. They didn't want to have the whole royal family be white, because I think maybe in the historical context that would come off like a bit colonialist, right? And kind of iffy with the with the historical architecture that they're using, which is like a mixture of Caribbean stuff and also like European influenced architecture. So they write this whole thing about him being adopted, and I spent the whole movie being like, why didn't they just cast a black actor as Prince Eric? And it feels like the fact that you can so clearly see the limit of Disney going, okay, well, we'll cast Halle Bailey as Ariel, but we won't have the entire cast, but no, we've got to have like a white lead. To have that be so like,
1: visible in the writing. we're going to get someone who exactly looks like Eric. Exactly! We're going so far one way, we've got to make someone who's exactly the same, and then it, like, leaves itself out. And then to to
2: then be like, and then you can see, like, the cogs of, like, the writer's brains working, of being like, well, no, but then his parents can't be white, because that's going to come off really problematic, so we're going to cast, but then, oh, no, that's not going to look like they're related, even though the mermaids are clearly not all related, so who cares? Like, it's just, like, that to me was such a striking example of like put like this sort of like representation on screen there's always they will draw a line they will always so clearly draw a line between what they're willing to do and what they're not willing to do and like that's the limit in The Little Mermaid is that they'll go well no we're obviously going to cast one white lead that would be insane if we didn't have a white lead at all.
1: But even the fact they cast like Javier Bardem as Triton, it's like exactly Ariel cast a black <laughs> black Dem, yeah. Javier Bardem. Mm-hmm. You know what he slips in all over the place. Um, <laughs> like there's a really great essay about like, the cultural ventriloquism of Javier Bardem in that he like can slip like he basically play like ethically ambiguous. Yeah, you get him anywhere. Um, I, just to, to that point though, if they'd have just done what. Uh, Armando Inucci did with uh, the personal history of David Copperfield, where it was just like a theater production in a sense. Yeah. Ted Patel, right, his character, his mum's white. <laughs> there's no racially insignificant. And actually in a world where it's mermaids and there's talking fish, it really doesn't matter.
2: Exactly. You could just, you just
1: present a world where it's like, actually we don't need to create a storyline because we don't have to take it literally because this fucking mermaid yeah <laughs> i just I, I
2: felt <laughs> weird that the movie was making me think about colonial history because so i was like this should not be in my head at all at any point because this is a gorgeous like fantasy movie about mermaids and like like being part of your world It's like why but it's because of this like belabored like attitude towards what well, this is what we are going to do for representation what we aren't going to do for representation that it just becomes so overly complicated instead of them just doing the easier yeah. and more correct thing <laughs> like...
1: and also like when you think about it it's kind of like science fiction right it's speculative fiction yeah right? it's like saying and they don't act and what they could just do is pretend like just l- live in that world that's there be part of that world yeah and don't try and connect it to this <laughs> it's one. meant to be and joyful accept it like people accept peter pan they go to Neverland. That's what it is. They could have just done it like that fairy tale. It's based on a fairy tale, so the idea that you have to cling to this like reality and there's a literalness. I think sometimes that there's there's a in cinema that you get that you don't get on stage because you know stage shows for years have done colorblind casting or color conscious casting where it hasn't really mattered. You can have two people of various different skin tones and they can be related and no one bats an eyelid because they're acting, they're playing characters. And actually, when a film like this, were actually. The only race that matters, the difference in race that matters is between mer people and humans. Nothing else. You don't have to include anything else in it, you know? Uh, that's what I think they should have done with Bridgerton, but they tried to make it, like, whatever. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like I had this conversation a lot about... I don't know. I feel... We, 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 the reason we, we picked this subject is because you you spotted something on... Uh, actually, my dear friend Candice Fredericks retweeted, quote-tweeted it, and it was a clip. It was a cutting from... Angelica J Bastian's review of Little Mermaid, and she kind of says not just critics, but kind of like it's up to critics, audiences, and filmmakers to kind of collectively kind of decide we surface level diversity shouldn't just be given a free pass. Films that aren't good shouldn't be given a free pass just because they're diverse. I think that was kind of like the kind of crux of her argument, and I don't, I don't disagree. Mm. Um, I find it frustrating sometimes when it feels like just because. You know, there's also an expectation sometimes on critics, which I write in my book, like where you're you're supposed to give it give it the benefit of the doubt, just because it's you know done by a black director, female director, or whatever. Like *Wrinkle in Time*, right? I do appreciate that Brie Larson was like, "I want to see. I don't really care what like uh, some old white dude thinks about *Wrinkle in Time*. I want to hear what a black women writes. Right. And that's, that's a really good point. But then you can have black female critics. You're like, "No, nah, this film's not really good." That's great. We don't have mm-hmm. to just uplift this because we'll. But we're in this thing where, because there's such limited opportunities, the idea of something fails, then everything else fails, right? But I feel like the Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. it's a pretty safe property to like, not fail with. I'm pretty sure it's gonna make millions just because it's the Little MoMo remake.
0: Mm-hmm. It will, it will. I'm just thinking, you know, the, the biggest change uh, between this version of Little Mermaid and the original is Halle Bailey in that lead role. Um, And they've been talking about it a lot on this press tour, and to a point you understand that, because it is important, and as Chris mentioned, that representation, that little black girl's bill, it's not nothing at all. But is that enough within the rest of the story if it's going to sort of remain as close to the original as it has? Why are we, it feels like the people at Disney would be like, okay, the big thing we're going to change is this. We're still going to keep the story the same. Is that enough on their side of things? Or should that be enough to green light a movie like this? Um, Because I would say no. I
1: think the problem with all of these Disney remakes is that they're not adaptations Really, in the kind of like truest, we talked about this a few weeks ago about what makes a great adaptation, mm-hmm. like Dead Ring is what's great about that, is that it's nothing like the film. It is completely departure mm-hmm. from that bit of jumping off point. And I just feel like there's just a, it's this kind of, once again, this like risk adverse attitude by Disney execs who greenlight it. It's like, we want you to do exactly the same, but just a little bit. It's like they're trying to like have their cake and eat it. It's like, if you're gonna do a remake or redo Little Mermaid, do something different. You've got like, it'd be amazing what you could do differently if you, if you just got the right filmmakers. I mean, I'm not gonna lie again, you've got like a, a, a dude writing the film, <laughs> male director, like white male director. I'm pretty sure David McGee, is he, what he's white as well, right? White dude, old white dude. He's 61 years old. No, say, no, like, no shade to you, dude, but like, do I really want a 61 year old writing about like a, cu- a coming of age story about a young black girl? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It just feels like mm. you're not, you're trying to do the bare minimum, but expecting a massive pat on the back and focusing so much on the diverse hires that they think that's enough to like pass the threshold of quality. I think that's as well what Angelica's getting to. It's like, that mm-hmm. we can't allow the narrative of being like this is gonna do great a lot of little girls it's like cool yeah but also let's make good art <laughs> you can do that and still make a good mm-hmm. movie you can but give her the movie that she deserves and i'm saying this is someone who's mm-hmm. like hasn't even seen the film but it, like hearing your reviews and stuff like that it just kind of and i might you know understanding of past films and past remakes that are, of this ilk it's just it's just yeah it just it doesn't not all of it really quite past the threshold and then you get these diverse actors coming you know these actors and you're just like i deserve better than this yeah i mean
2: i i think it's one of those things where like we can you can maintain two different thoughts in your head at the same time (laughs) and i feel like Mm -hmm. there the tension comes from people thinking that You know, saying The Little Mermaid is not a very good movie is saying that like the the people who feel represented by it like don't deserve that and shouldn't watch it and shouldn't enjoy it. And I think like it's perfectly fine to accept both at the same time and to really celebrate Mm -hmm. Halle Bailey and say, It's incredible that she's in this movie and it's fantastic. But to also go, Hey, but also here are all the problems with the movie and Hannah, as you said, like she deserved better. And I think to me it's not like, there's no need for like tension or 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 this feeling of conflict around it because like those things live separately. Like little girls don't read, little girls don't read the independent. <laughs> they don't. They don't need to know or need to care what I thought of the movie.
1: <laughs> like. Yeah, but it's interesting when you think about people who enjoy mm. Disney. There are adult like, there's a whole adult Disney fans. People are obsessed with it. Yeah, I think that's part of it as well, isn't it? Like the adults who enjoy Disney, who like this sort of entertainment, they should expect. But you know what? It's like it's exactly what you said. I mean, if we're gonna, you know, a very good comparison, series <laughs> is Master Gardener. Like, Proud Boys should have <laughs> someone to look up to and like have it, but also they deserve better than <laughs> that ending. <laughs> I feel like I need to put a disclaimer On the end of this episode I 100% I'm joking uh, I am I am not supported I love how I've compared Sorry, <laughs> like,
0: for The
2: former Sorry because now I'm imagining Former racists watching the trailer For Master Garner be like Oh my god Bob he looks just like me
1: I feel seen. <laughs> um, we all deserve representation. <laughs> <Reese>. <laughs> Even for former white supremacists. <laughs> sorry. And
0: on that glorious note uh. that will not be topped. Thank you for tuning in
1: <laughs>
0: to the debate about podcasts and happy viewing.
1: I think this is what By I'm gonna get canceled medium.
0: on. buy whatever medium is the safest for you, you gotta subscribe, you gotta rate, you gotta review the podcast because it does make a difference. And please feel free to tweet us any questions or hot takes at FetaBlack Pod on Twitter. Uh, I am at Amon Woman on Facebook no okay. Facebook and you got me all to sit <laughs> I am at I'm on woman on Twitter and Instagram I have deleted
1: is. my social media accounts before you try and tag me and <laughs> <in> any things <laughs> I am
2: at Clarice Liu on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram
0: farewell film friends it's time to fade to black